0: Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's continue in First Timothy chapter six. Paul has just charged Timothy to fight the good fight. Jesus made the good confession before Pontius Pilate when his life was on the line. Timothy made the similar confession in front of his own church. You and I, Christians, we likewise, we will make, we've made the good confession. So we, before, until Jesus comes back, we will continually fight the good fight. Here's what comes next. Verse 15. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. That, that's quite an ending, right? But it's not the ending of the letter. He's going to go on to give instructions to to people who are rich in this present age. But for now, look at this text. Look at this text. God will bring this about in his own time. What is he talking about? What is this that God will bring about? I believe it's about the return of Christ. Because he's just made this charge to Timothy to fight the good fight take hold of eternal life to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's verse 14. So now in verse 15, he says that God's going to bring this about in his own time, in his own time. Jesus rebuked the disciples when they asked him after the resurrection, are you going to restore Israel to this time, restore the, the political autonomy of Israel against Roman rule at this time? And Jesus just corrected, look, it's not for you to know the time or the hour that the father has set in his own good timing. It, it, it's, it's God's will. It's not for you to know that stuff. It's God's time. God will return in his own good time. This is our policy at the Redemption Church. Anytime uh, somebody comes out with some sort of prediction, like I know the time and the hour that Jesus is coming back. Like, and honestly, I, I'm pretty sure that's not the time or the hour because you said that. By the way, God could come back at that time, but I'm likely to rule it out because you said that's the time of the hour and no man knows the time or the hour. It's deliberate. It's by design on God's part. It forces us then to live in a state of the constantly possible imminence of the return of Christ. We must, we must repent from sin right away at all times. We must be about the mission of God all, all the time, constantly, right away, doing this work. God's gonna bring it about. He's gonna bring it about in his own time because he's the blessed one. He is the only sovereign, meaning he so reigns, meaning he's in control, he is in charge. Contextually, within Ephesus, there were some people who would worship the emperor. Throughout really the Roman Empire, there was this deification sometimes of the the emperor. Truth be told, he's he's not the sovereign. God is the one, God is the one who's in control. God is the only sovereign. He's the one who's worthy of worship. Because he's in control, he's the one who has set the time. In fact, this is one of the only delineations we see between the Father and the Son within the Trinity, that the Father knows, and the Son does not know the time of his own return. It's, it's God the Father's own understanding. It's God the Father who knows this time. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign. He's not only the sovereign, he's also blessed. He is the king of absolutely all kings. The first king, you'll notice, is capitalized and the second Kings is lowercase. And the Lord of Lords, the first Lord is capitalized, and the second Lord is not capitalized. Moreover, you'll recognize in the English translation that this capitalized L, Lord, is not rendered in the capital L and then small capital O, small capital R, small capital D, that many English translations will use to render the Yahweh term that we see in the Old Testament, Hebrew. Here, it's the fact that he's in charge It's not a rendering of Yahweh. It's comparing the Lord capital L to Lord's lowercase L here in the earthly sense, the heavenly Lord versus earthly Lords. He is the Lord over all the Lords. He is the King over all the Kings, all of the Lords answer to him, all the Kings kneel before his throne. He is the King of all the Kings. He is the Lord of all the Lords. And he alone is the immortal who lives in unapproachable light. We saw Moses encounter with God on Mount Sinai. It was so blinding it made his face glow and he couldn't look upon God and live. Why can we not approach this light? Why can we not see him whom no one has seen or can see? Why is the light unapproachable and why is it not possible for us to see God? It's because we're sinners and we die. We would die if we beheld his holiness and his light. It is for our own protection That like Moses on Mount Sinai, God puts his hand over and veils himself from us. My skeptical friend, don't demand to see God. Because if you did, you'd die. He's an unapproachable light. No one can see him. No one has seen him. If someone claims to have seen God, he or she is lying. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. It's like the fireworks finale go off right here, and then there's like another bottle rocket coming up in the next verse, (laughs) and it's about to start up again. But this could have been the ending. This is a sermon right here in itself. God's gonna bring about his return in his own good timing. He alone is sovereign. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. You don't get to file complaints and tell him, here's when I think you should come back, God. (laughs) He's the sovereign. He alone is immortal. He alone lives in unapproachable light. He is the only one that we can't see because of his unapproachable light, because of his holiness, and to him alone be honor and eternal power. Amen. We call that, my friends, a doxology. It's this beautiful study of the glory of God.